hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating, of course, with this system. So lots of information, lots of case studies, lots of stats. We go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases, the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60-minute masterclass. Y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass. Hey, and welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast, an adulting advice podcast production. I'm Danny Sheriff, and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast. Always fun to say. I have with me a name that many of you listening will already know. And if you don't, you'll hear and then you'll hear again and again and again. And that's Dr. Nicola Rinaldi. Yay. And she is the author, researcher of the book, No Period, Now What? And probably one of the like people at the forefront of making the world educated in in what hypothalamic amenorrhea even is. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this podcast series. I think it's going to be great and a nice addition to the space of what's already out there. So yeah, me yes, thank you for saying that. I'm excited. I was just actually lying in bed one night and I was like this just it's kind of hard for people to find 
the information mm-hmm. in like a um I don't know, just like one spot. There's like a podcast here and there or maybe a nutrition podcast who has an episode on this kind of thing. But I was like, where could people maybe just get like a crash course and then figure out where to go next? And we are about to get into your story and into your book, but I feel like I immediately need to bring up the fact that you have a podcast coming out soon too. And I just want to hear what it's going to be about. So the name of the podcast is, we think, going to be All In. Um just talking a lot about individual recovery stories um, as well as you know new science that's coming out because there's you know there's research that's being done every day on this topic um, which is fantastic it's definitely um, sort of exploded in awareness over the last 10 or 15 years and um, so just covering you know we'll have interviews with um, the administrators from my Facebook group which I think is um, you know there's a lot of knowledge there based on um, approving thousands of posts and sort of seeing how people react and, you know, learning about um, different changes in mindset, which is one of the huge parts of HA recovery. Um, So it's kind of going to be a smorgasbord, but it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. So it's going to be in um, collaboration with Florence Klinas, um, who is a beyond body image on Instagram. Um, she's a body image and eating psychology coach. And so the two of us got to know each other way back before I had written my book. She was on the Fertile Thoughts board, which is sort of the genesis of the whole thing for, for me. Um, and so we're going to, we've, we've been talking about it for a long time and, you know, we kind of going to put a stake in the ground and get it started this fall. So spring for those in Australia and the southern hemisphere (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's I mean I'm currently in Texas right now and I don't know if you can tell but I don't I'm in my camper we're on a camping trip and I haven't got the air conditioner is really loud so I haven't got it on right now for recording this so by the end of this you're gonna see me like dripping in sweat but the audio quality is worth it okay I'm really excited about your podcast I really hope that this is the first place people hear that you guys are doing It will that. be because <laughs> first time I've told anyone. So. <laughs> oh, yes. It's so cool that you guys are doing it and we're doing it because I just want people to be able to type into Google or into iTunes like hypothalamic amenorrhea because that's what I did and have mm-hmm. something valuable come up. Um, I mean, at the moment it is valuable. At the moment your name comes up a million times on different people's shows but no it it'll be really good and i i'm excited to see what topics you guys dive into and to hear just hear from you more and more so would you mind telling the listeners your story like what well actually first what is hypothalamic amenorrhea and then just how do you get wrapped up in all of this so Hypothalamic amenorrhea is basically a missing period that is caused by suppression of the hypothalamus, which is a small organ in your brain that basically controls pretty much everything your body does. So it's absolutely fascinating. The hypothalamus um, controls your reproductive system by putting out gonadotropin-releasing hormone. It controls your thyroid by putting out thyrotropin-releasing hormone. Um, It controls your adrenals by putting out corticotropin-releasing hormone. It controls your body's water balance. There's another hormone called OAT. Tea, I think um, that's one that I've learned about very recently, and so I need to remind myself what the name is. But it's it's amazing how 
tightly coordinated everything in our body is, especially in our hormonal and endocrine system. So the hypothalamus also takes in information from all over our bodies. So it has sensors for things like estrogen and progesterone, um, thyroid hormones. Um, it, sen it has sensors for glucose and insulin and other hormones that are generated when we eat fat and protein. Um, it has sensors for the like there are mechanical receptors in our uh, stomach and esophagus that transmit to the hypothalamus. So it collects all of this information from our body and then sends out signals based on the information that's collected, telling our, you know, telling our other hormones what to do. So hypothalamic amenorrhea generally happens when somebody is underfueling for their body um, in concert with some form of stress, either mental or physical stress, um, both of which generate other hormones like cortisol and um, uh, endorphins that can suppress the hypothalamus. So basically, when you're not eating enough and you have some stress, that sends signals of suppression to the hypothalamus. And so it basically slows things down. So at an extreme, I've seen people with, um, you know, low growth hormone, low prolactin, low thyroid function, and all of that ultimately comes back to the hypothalamus. Um, it's, our bodies are absolutely incredible. It's just, you know, it's amazing how tightly coordinated everything is. Um, so when you're underfueling, your hypothalamus is basically trying to conserve energy because there are some things that have to happen in order for us to stay alive. Our heart has to pump, our lungs have to breathe, our brain has to work. So it's, you know, it's, it's, those are the number one things that our body needs to do. Um, and it's amazing how little recognition there is of that in some of the diet spaces, like, you know, where you have recommendations like eat 1200 calories a day to lose weight. It's like, that is the amount of calories that actually you just need if you're lying in bed all day doing nothing. So yeah, you, you're probably going to lose some weight, but it also means that your body has to make choices about what things it wants to provide energy for. And your reproductive system is an easy one to cut off because we do not need to reproduce. So that's often one of the first things to go. But other things that can happen are, um, you know, the body will choose to spend less energy on keeping you warm. So women that have HA also are often cold all the time. Um, you know, your less energy gets spent on bone building. Um, and that's also, you know, something that's where estrogen is, estrogen and progesterone are highly involved in that process as well. So when you don't have a normal menstrual cycle, you know, you're, you're depleting those, those hormones are not where they need to be for proper bone building. Um, you might have brittle hair and nails, you know, there's a lot of anxiety, um, emotional effects, um, you know, low libido, very little vaginal lubrication. I mean, there, there are so many side effects that you know, um, having to pee a lot uh, because the estrogen that you normally get in a menstrual cycle, you know, it, it increases 10 to 15 fold and your progesterone increases about 20 to 40 fold during your menstrual cycle. So when those hormones aren't around, um, it actually causes the lining of the bladder to thin um, and that means that you get the signal to urinate sooner, um, almost four times sooner than if you have a normal menstrual cycle and normal, normal bladder function. So 
there's so many effects that all of this has, but it's all driven by the hypothalamus, which is that little part in your brain that controls everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's it's absolutely wild, but it also makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and what isn't it's like right up here in the top of your head, in the center of everything. Um, I think and, it's kind of more down to the, oh, like at the back, the, the, the base of back. your brain. Yeah. Amazing. And you were talking about how at the very beginning of that, how women are told like these 1200 calorie diets. I mean, just yesterday in the grocery store, I saw uh, lose 39 pounds in three weeks on the uh, Mm -hmm. magazine. So it's still very prominent messaging. And that is fed to us a lot more frequently than (laughs) every single day, a lot more then, hey, did you know that your body isn't producing or doing all of these functions mm-hmm. thanks to thin air? Like that's, yes. I mean, I have so much compassion. That was definitely me. I remember the first time I ever heard the concept of, um, I was started diving into, you know, why don't I have a period? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this has been going on a few years. What's up here? And then hearing for the first time, like, maybe your body does better at a higher body weight or maybe your um, too lean and just being like mind blown and being like, well <laughs> no I didn't even believe it at that uh-huh. time I wasn't ready for that yep. and so I was just like that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life <laughs> is what because I was so conditioned mm-hmm. that it was it was actually the closest to being brainwashed I've probably ever been in reality just hearing someone say that and me being so like thinking that's so absurd yeah so and, and now so it's right. so there's so much messaging that thin is better regardless of anything thin is always better you know it's 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 supposedly healthier it's supposedly more attractive I mean it's it's you know it's everywhere you know it's starting from very young ages as well I mean kids start um you know it's it's in the comics that kids watch and you know mm. cartoons and all of that i mean it's you know the the heroes and heroines are always portrayed as uh, thin often white um you know and so that messaging starts very young and there's very yeah. little that pushes back against that you know we don't see normal body size people a lot it's all this you know ultra thin you know barbie shape all of the you know very unrealistic but we that's what we see and so that is what we internalize as attractive and the goal and it's not it's not necessarily healthy um healthy is definitely not what you look like it's how your body works and how you're feeling um and you know long-term health in can be de- can definitely be compromised by continually underfueling and um, you know and then also uh, the exercise component that often goes along with that underfueled exercise is also not necessarily healthy for your body because your body needs time and energy to repair things um, and so often there can be things like stress fractures and you know, uh, sort of ongoing injuries that just nag and you know, go on for a long time because the body doesn't have enough energy to actually repair things. Yeah, because you were also talking about the symptoms earlier to go along with that. And I think that we don't notice that we have these symptoms because they also feel so normal, which is another barrier Mm -hmm. in getting people to understand, like, actually what you're 
feeling isn't like aging or isn't because you're in the air conditioner all day and so like your skin is dry like I didn't realize personally that I had symptoms until I had started to recover and I was like oh my skin's actually not like flaking off my face Mm -hmm. or I don't have a you know sleep like crusty eyes um anymore and I these are all things yeah which makes sense because I was just like always so tired Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and there's just this like ripple effect of things that I didn't realize were if not directly attributed to it like be a result of something else yeah (laughs) Yeah. else attributed to it so it's really interesting yeah so you had you had asked about my story. Um, so yes, please. For me, this my journey with HA started at the end of my graduate career. So I was doing a PhD in computational biology, and I'd had a fairly normal relationship with food and exercise in my body to that point. I mean, you know, some ups and downs in college, um, where I you know went on a rice crispy diet for a little while, <laughs> which. Um, yeah, we'll leave that there. Um, but so I was exercising a lot in graduate school because I loved it. I had picked up ice hockey, um, and golf and volleyball. Um, I was lifting weights with, uh, the guys in my lab, um, you know, playing squash and it was all just fun and enjoyment. And my husband was a consultant at the time. So he was away four to five nights a week. So, you know, I had nothing better to do than go and play around with people. Um, so I think that was all fine until, uh, the lab kind of made a collective decision to go on a diet. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, I can stand to lose some weight. Uh, you know, I've got love handles. I'd always wanted that elusive six pack, you know, the, the vein, you know, to be able to see the vein running down my bicep. Like I I thought, (laughs) Oh my God, that's so cool. I'm totally going to do that. So I did. I mean, I severely restricted my calories um, and I lost a bunch of weight in a very short amount of time. Um, And I, you know, I thought I looked great. I was getting tons of compliments. Um, It was definitely a slippery slope. You know, you see the weight on the scale go down and you get these compliments and you're like, oh, I want to go further. I want to do more. And I was definitely headed down a bad path. Um, I happened to be following the blog of a friend of mine at the time, and she posted about the Minnesota starvation experiment. And so I did some reading about that. And it was that was a real wake up call for me, because I was experiencing a lot of the symptoms that were mentioned in that, you know, especially waking up in the middle of the night starving. Um, And I realized, wow, I'm actually really starving my, I mean, I'm in steady starvation right now. Um, so that was kind of a wake up call. And then around that same time, I also went off the pill to try and, I'd been thinking about getting pregnant. Um, that was sort of one of my other goals with this whole weight loss thing was I kept, you know, I was starting to read about pregnancy and I kept reading, oh, you know, lose weight to have an easier time getting pregnant and lose weight to have a healthier pregnancy. I mean, that messaging is also everywhere and, you know, can be incredibly detrimental because, um, you know, it's, I mean, for many reasons, you know, underfueling is just not helpful for our hormonal systems in general. Um, and, you know, just this idea that weight is so important um, 
you know, I think there's a lot more things that we can do to be healthy without focusing on specifically on weight loss. Um, so anyway, I went off the pill, didn't get my period. Uh, you know, I was like, what's going on here? So I went to see my doctor and she sort of said, well, you know, it can take three, three months to get your period back after you go off the pill. So let's just wait and see what happens and come back and see me if you still don't have it. Well, I still didn't have my period three months later. Um, we had talked about diet and exercise and I told her what I was doing and I sort of asked if that could be a problem. And she sort of said, ah, you know, you could maybe increase your food a little bit and maybe decrease your exercise a little bit. So I I did that, but I mean, I was still exercising, you know, twice a day, most days and still under fueling. Um, so I needed some harder guidelines around what I really needed to do. So it was, it ended up being a long journey. I eventually got diagnosed with HA about six months after that. Um, and then sort of jumped right into fertility treatments because, uh, when I went to see a reproductive endocrinologist, she told me, oh, your cycle was irregular when you were a teenager. So it's probably never going to come back again. And so we might as well start fertility treatments. Um, so I did four rounds of fertility treatments that failed. So it was injectable cycles, um, you know, they didn't all go particularly well. I had some that were okay, some that were not, um, but didn't get pregnant. Um, and through this time, I sort of continued loosening up on my eating and exercise to some degree. Um, and then, you know, basically gained back all the weight that I had lost, or, you know, over those months. Um, and then we were going to do IVF because we'd had four failed cycles and it was kind of like, you know, what's next? Um, and I was just waiting for my insurance to change to cover the IVF because we're lucky enough to live in Massachusetts where it is covered under health insurance. And I, you know, the doctor's like, oh, you should go on birth control. I was like, why would I go on birth control? I want to get pregnant. <laughs> so I chose not to. And I actually did ovulate on my own and got pregnant. Um so that was sort of my story. And then when I was pregnant, I was put on modified bed rest because I was having a lot of contractions. And that's when I found the Fertile Thoughts um, message board. And so I started posting there. It was about hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I joined and, you know, a lot of the stories were very similar to mine. And so I sort of shared my knowledge and, you know, what to, what it had taken for me to get my period back. Um, and I loved it. I loved supporting people through their journeys. I loved learning more. Um, you know, every time somebody would ask a question, I would go and research it in the medical literature. Um, and eventually it, it became clear that there was a need for a more sort of codified work on what was happening, why it was happening, how to recover. And so that's when I decided to write my book. Um, it was, at the time, there was still very little in the sort of, there's very little in sort of the, the common realm about HA in terms of, you know, blogs or uh, news articles, that, that kind of thing. Um, and certainly no other books about it. So I was like, you know, this is, this is my thing. And so I, you know, I spent uh, three and a half years working on the book. It started with doing a large survey of um, 300 women, slightly more, who had been on that board with me. Um, you know, the, it was like a thousand questions in the survey. And so I asked about everything from, you know, body size history, eating history, exercise, uh, hormones, um, and just compiled those data to share with people because there was very little information about sort of what it took to recover um, and 
what recovery rates were like and how easy it was to get pregnant after recovery. Like none of that was out there. So I felt like collecting that information would be really helpful. So that's sort of the, the major basis of my book. And then I incorporated all of the medical literature I could find and um, also stories from women on the board because I feel like the personal anecdotes are make everything much more relatable than just sort of the science. Um, so that's, and so I published that in 2016 and have kind of been making it more of my life's work ever since. So I quit my job in uh, 2018 and hung up my shingle to help people individually. And so I've been doing that along with the book and here we are. Yeah, I love your story. And it's kind of meant to be because I'm sure a lot of people think, oh, Dr. Rinaldi, probably like a you know doctor of science, medical science but actually you're like a doctor at being really really good at reviewing data mm-hmm. and finding patterns and that would have been very hard for the average person to pull off such a survey so i mean what just like how convenient <laughs> <laughs> so good i love it and i hear well i know that you recently released a couple of changes some Mm -hmm. updates to that book so when did you first publish the first version of no period now what so that was april of 2016 Um, okay and And so what was nagging at you to edit so there were a couple of things um somebody reached out to me on twitter actually so there's one of the chapters in the book is um a partner support chapter so it's for it's it was originally written for husbands you know supporting their spouse through ha recovery and so this person reached out to me and said you know well why why just husbands and you know i had i had it was something that had crossed my mind and i sort of had a little bit in there you know this this obviously is you know appropriate for any partner supporting their their you know loved one but we're just going to use husband because it's easier and so she's kind of like well that doesn't really seem right you know given that there are many different relationships that people could have and so I was like you 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 know you're right so I went and rewrote that chapter to be more inclusive um so not just talking about husbands but anybody any partner you know romantic or otherwise who is supporting their loved one through HA so that was important to me because I feel um it's I want to be as inclusive as possible and you know, using the term husband, I think is exclusionary, just given, you know, there are so many different relationships. And so that that was probably one of the biggest things that I wanted to change. The other was I've learned a lot about um, body positivity and health at every size in the years since publishing the book. And I, I did feel like um, certainly on the board, we were very focused still on being thin. And so there was some discussion in the book on, you know, sort of still being negative towards larger bodies. And that's something that I've had my eyes opened more since I've written the book. And so I wanted to take some of that um, sort of still pressure to be thin and small out of the book as much as possible. Um, it's not, it's not perfect still, you know, there's still some things that I, you know, I, I'm definitely thinking about another edition in the years to come, um, where I'll change, where I think I'll change some of that even more, but, you know, so there's, that, that's, uh, 
it's not something that anybody would necessarily notice comparing one version to another because it was a lot of just small changes to terminology or the way that I, the way that I talked about different sizes of bodies, um, you know, using various terms, um, you know, like obese or overweight, which are very negatively associated and defined in a very, um, you know, they're, they're basically defined by BMI, which is not a great marker for health or anything else. So, you know, I took, so I took those words out as much as I, as much as I could. Um, and then I also added in links to various blog posts that I've written since the initial book was published on some differences in supplements and some additional data analysis that I've done um, in terms of things like time to recovery um, and, you know, waiting for three cycles before you start, you know, before you start changing anything that you've been, that you did in order to recover your period. So those are, those are the major, the major changes. So have, was any of that, um, the language around size and, and body positivity, because that's a space I'm really interested in. I'm not, per, I'm not in a bigger body, but I am in a body where my experience with HA was very confusing mm-hmm. because I was like, but I'm not really lean. I've never been really lean. Like, why is this happening to me? HA manifesting in women with diff- of, of all different body sizes, right? Yes. So it's the classic, I don't know, textbook, whatever you want, HA person in our mind is very thin, probably has eating disorder tendencies, if not an eating disorder. Many women in bigger bodies there's some of us who me I had tendencies for sure I had lost a lot of weight Mm -hmm. I fit into the category in your book you talk about you don't have to be a certain size but if you've lost this much weight at some point what was it like 10 pounds yeah 10 pounds I mean it's there's no there isn't a hard and fast rule around that but it's sort of just like that's People don't think of 10 pounds as being significant, I think is my point, but it, that can be a big change for your body. Um, and interestingly, I think that it's associated with leptin, which is um, secreted by adipose tissue. You know, we think of fat as just being this like, you know, whatever, it's just this blobby stuff that we have on our bodies, but actually our, you know, our fat tissue generates hormones. So it converts testosterone to estradiol. It generates leptin, it generates adiponectin, which are hormones that are all sensed by our hypothalamus and other parts of our body. So it's not just this kind of, yeah, it's not just a blobby thing. It's actually useful for many things in our, in our life. Science, the science about like body fat and yeah it actually is more than just this like energy storage but it creates hormones or I don't like I have no idea how to word any of it but I know that it has a lot of roles including healing from injury was a really interesting one for me um and makes a lot of sense because in like football and a lot of the male related sports like taking a a off season and gaining weight and everything is associated with letting the body recover Mm -hmm. and recoup for the next season but we just choose not to notice how that could be beneficial to you know other people in other walks of life yeah and it's just fat like your role the role of your body fat plays so much more than just I don't know like your uh status in society (laughs) 
it's really it's really fascinating to me and also for me has been one of the hardest parts is just like accepting this weight gain accepting um you know why me why why don't my friends have to like eat stop dieting and why can they continue to train really really hard and I can't and that comparison constantly has been very challenging yeah. but one way that I was able to help with I mean it's got it's, it's still challenging like don't get me wrong hey do you know what your blind spots are as in do you know what it is what the thing is that is holding you back from getting your period back Look, it could be an absolute plethora, cornucopia of things, but in our practice, what we tend, the first place we tend to go is what behaviors and habits do you have around food that you may be still doing? And these are called blind spots because we just don't necessarily always know that they're an unhelpful habit or that it's something that we're doing, whether it be a subconscious or conscious need to control our food or our body, or whether it be something that you've just done for so long that it feels normal and like a preference even. We have created a checklist. It's a three-page checklist that goes through food types, behaviors around food, and mindsets around food. And what you do is you go through the lists and you check off and you see which ones are you doing, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and how are they potentially affecting your recovery today? So it's a really simple checklist. It's just three pages. You go through it. There's a very simple scoring system to help you figure out um, how much this may be impacting your recovery. And it's just an insightful thing for you to do to help you reflect and then you can journal about it or you can learn more about it and just start really working at any of the boxes that you checked and understanding that they're playing a role in your recovery so to get the checklist all you have to do is go to the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and we'll send it straight through to you you can print it off and you can check on it every now and then. I always recommend a reflection point every like four to six weeks. How are you going? Are you still checking that behavior off or have you, you know, systematically kicked it to the curb? So check it out. It's the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and it will be waiting for you there. But one of the things that's been really helpful is enrolling people. And you were talking about you had updated the section for partners in the book which I also found really helpful but with enrolling my friends mm -hmm. and those just everyone around me instead of keeping this kind of thing as a secret that I'm doing it was way more helpful for me to come out in the open and yeah. be like hey this is happening to me so don't say anything triggering don't <laughs> uh, be supportive of me be prepared to hear a lot about this did you have any other i don't know anecdotes tips or what's just your experience with people who do it silently and quietly versus those who enroll the people around them to help them recover i think there's a lot of fear around talking about this because i mean it feels, it feels personal and it can be very hard to go against sort of the societal mantras of 
eat as little as possible and exercise as much as possible. And so I think people are often afraid of getting negative feedback and, um, you know, being told, oh, you're doing the wrong thing, which does happen because many people are totally not aware of how all of this is interrelated and everything. But I think generally what I find is that when people do recruit others around them, that they do get a lot of support. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously outliers, but for the most part, when people have, say, posted on Facebook, uh, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of responses are like, this is, you know, I'm so glad you're doing this, you know, do whatever you need to for your health. Um, you know, so I think that it can feel scary to take that step of sharing this very personal part of you, but it's, definitely worth it. It's definitely worth it to have, you know, a support team around you in real life. Um, you know, I have my Facebook groups that's great for people who aren't ready to do that. And, you know, even as an, as an adjunct to that, um, just being surrounded by, by women, um, or people who are working on period recovery and having a place to go that feels safe for sharing a lot of this information and a lot of the angst around it. Um, but overall, I would love to see more people sharing about it because I think that, you know, periods are the basis of life, uh, you know, basis of human life on earth. And, it, you know, I think it's, I think it's great to talk more about it and be more open. Um, you know, it shouldn't be something that's shameful or anything like that. I mean, you know, we all derive from ovulation, so... <laughs> I think just raising awareness about how important it is to be ovulating on a regular basis for, you know, for those who are biological females. Um, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's great. And, you know, my, my uh, almost 13 year old son has read my book. And so he knows a lot more about my personal life than many, many kids know about their parents. Um, but, awesome. you know, it's, it's, it's nice not to have to, you know, I don't have to hide that from him. And it's, you know, it's, it's nice that he, I think, can understand the, the girls around him um, maybe better than the average boy because he, you know, he's, he knows all about periods and ovulation yeah. and all of that. That's so funny. It's like Lisa Hendrickson Jacks of um, Fertility Friday. She talks about she has two sons and she's like, they're just going to know mm -hmm. all this stuff. Yep. Like, that's just the way it's going to be. And it's so funny. I love it. I love making my husband deal with it. I like show him my fertility awareness book. I'm like, look, my temperature is probably going to shift here and I'm going to see mucus. Mm -hmm. And this is what the mucus. And he's just like, <laughs> but it's just so fun. Yeah, and it's funny in, you know, I often talk about this with very random people because it's what I do. So mm. I've been very interested in the, in all of the people that I've told, there was only one like 70 plus year old man who was like, Oh no, no, I can't talk to you about that. Everyone else is just fascinated and asks me lots of questions. So, um, you know, I think it's, it, it's something that people are interested in and uh, definitely worth yeah. sharing. Yeah. And one other really big thing, especially with sharing now sometime between now and the next like five years if it helps people to be a bit more brave about sharing I think it's safe to say that for every one person who shares their story you bring awareness uh -huh. to this to like five others the amount of people who have come to me and been like I thought I had PCOS uh -huh. or 
I like doctors couldn't figure out what's going on with me or and like but then you just like kept talking about this yeah <laughs> and I thought why not me look into this mm-hmm. so you're helping a lot of other people by continuing to share spread awareness yeah. just like any other condition yes and um mm-hmm. that is a great point about misdiagnosis as pcos um that is actually really common and i think it's very important to get right so i actually have a blog post at noperiod.info slash h-a-v-s PCOS, like HA versus PCOS. Um, and I share the chapter, I share my chapter from the book about the condition, you know, about distinguishing between the two conditions for free, um, because I do think it is really important to get that diagnosis correct. Um, so in order to have a diagnosis of PCOS, first, you do have to exclude hypothalamic amenorrhea before you diagnose PCOS. So that's number one. Um, second is that there are three criteria for a diagnosis of PCOS, and you have to have at least two of the three. Um, the first is amenorrhea or oligomenorrhea, which is periods that are more than 35 days apart. So obviously that's something that's in common between HA and PCOS. So that can't distinguish between the two. Um, the second is an ultrasound where they look at the number of what, they, what are called antral follicles on your ovaries, which is follicles sort of between two and nine millimeters. Um, it can be really common in somebody with HA to have a lot of follicles because you have been ovulating. So that also is very difficult to distinguish. So it's important to use very accurate criteria for a diagnosis of PCOS, which is more than 25 follicles on an ovary um, or an ovarian volume of more than 10 cubic centimeters. Um, And then finally, there is the biochemical or physical signs of hyperandrogenism androgenism. So that's elevated free testosterone, um, androstenedione, DHEAS, or, um, you know, a lot of acne that is sort of refractive to normal over-the-counter treatments, um, hair growth in sort of a typically male pattern, so more on the chin, the chest. Um, So often, if somebody has sort of HA-like lifestyle in terms of long-term caloric restriction, having lost weight, um, doing a lot of exercise, and they don't have elevated androgens, then HA is a much more likely diagnosis. And so I think there are a lot of people who who are misdiagnosed with PCOS, which then sends them often down a rabbit hole of, oh, you have to lose weight, you have to exercise more, you have to restrict carbs, and, you know, all of those are completely... Uh, antithetical to what you need to do to actually recover from HA. So it, it basically just makes things worse. So that's, that's an important, um, important thing to get right. So they present marginally similar uh, symptoms. People still get them confused. And unfortunately, the protocol for them, both of them are like, the protocol for PCOS can be quite damaging to a to someone who already yes. has HA. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And the protocol is not even necessarily particularly helpful for somebody who has PCOS. So if there's somebody listening who does have true bona fide PCOS, then I would very much suggest looking into alternatives to just saying weight loss and exercise more um, because there can be some ways to change what you're eating or supplements to take that can be helpful um, and probably more so than just focusing on being in a smaller body, which, you know, has a lot of negatives associated with it. Hmm. 
Yes. And you were talking about uh, follicles for a bit there. Mm -hmm. I know that was PCOS, but I have a question about the cycle that you might just know more than me because sometimes I think I understand and then I learn a bit of information and I'm like, do I understand? (laughs) So there's something about like it takes a hundred days to do something like a hundred days to grow a follicle so there's sort of a stage of develop like follicles do take about a hundred days to develop from I think it's primordial follicle to a dominant follicle I think that process is about a hundred days um okay but so I have heard some other people in the space say oh you can't get your period back before three months because of this 100 days to develop a follicle. This is my question. um, That is not accurate because you often have follicles, you have follicles that are rest at different stages in your ovaries, depending on, you know, they're just sort of going through the process. So I have seen people get their periods back within a month. Um, sometimes, Sometimes it's 18 months. I mean, it's, you know, there's no... I don't think it's at all related to the follicular development. Um, I think it's much more related to how suppressed your hypothalamus is um, when it actually gets back to a point that it can give the signal to start the follicular growth process, um, which takes those, you know, there. So when you have HA, you don't, all of your follicles are not at that primordial stage. You still have a range of follicles across the different levels of development, which is why I think it can happen fairly quickly. Okay. That way, yeah, that was my, I was like, if it takes a hundred days, but sometimes you see someone say, I went all in for three weeks mm-hmm. and I got my period. Yep. And so basically follicles, you might, if you have HA, you are potentially still growing follicles, but they're not maturing. Correct. And then sometimes going in, going all in can really help your follicles give them what they need to finish the development and help you get a period yeah yeah so when I when I did my original survey for the book um, one of the questions that I asked was how long did it take you to recover the median time was five months and the average time was eight months so um, it was the the two are different because I think there were some people that had sort of been quote unquote working on recovery for say three years, but they just didn't know what it really meant to go all in. So they weren't actually eating enough. They hadn't cut out all of their high intensity exercise. Um, So it did take a long time. So I noticed in my Facebook group after, after my book was published that there were a lot of people posting that they were getting their period back in sort of the four, six, eight week range. Um, so I did another survey and I actually found that since my book is published, um, the, the median time to recovery is now probably closer to three months. Um, and I think that is because the concept of all in is out there now. And so it's, you know, it's quite well defined in that you're eating a minimum of 2,500 calories a day, you're cutting out your high intensity exercise and doing both of those things at the same time tends to lead to faster period recovery. So obviously everybody is an individual. So, you know, it's not a guarantee for any one person. Um, You know, there are some people who have been all in for a long time and don't have periods back. Um, But for the most part, I think following that protocol is definitely more beneficial to period recovery than sort of a more, uh, a more gradual method, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's unfortunately it's just so mental what's that <laughs> to go yes unfortunately going all in is yes. super mentally challenging it absolutely is and you know that's why i have a 550 page book about it <laughs> yeah we really one thing i've found about um you know, people with HA and a big reason why I wanted to start this podcast and I pumped you starting yours is when you're going through it, it's so mentally challenging to let go of the two things that you want to control so much, mm -hmm. which is your food intake and your exercise. And your body so, size. Yes. And all, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Just all the things you want to control, you kind of can't. And maybe even having to release some of the things that cause you a lot of stress, like a, a super high stress job or hobby or something like that. Um, that was definitely the case for me as well. And it's really hard to control all of those things. Um, and because we're going through every single day, we're trudging through that challenge. We actually want to be surrounding ourselves with people and content and things that are going to keep up like lifting us up which is what I was saying why I started this, pod yeah, to start yes. this podcast was because when you know I was looking for any podcast I could find that would just like reinforce what I was doing and reinforce that I'm doing the right thing because it's way easier to find things that reinforce mm -hmm. the other yes absolutely. and even though I know I know logically what I'm supposed to be doing it's very easy to hear something or see something or feel something that will trigger you mm -hmm. to question what you're doing mm -hmm. and have to run the other way. Yep. So surrounding yourself with that kind of information is was really important for me. Yes. And that was a part of why this podcast was of value, yes, I thought. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, definitely changing up who you're following on social media can be huge. You know, I really encourage people to go out and find new people to follow, like diverse body shapes, sizes, colors, orientations, like all of that, um, and just kind of getting away from people who are very much in the diet culture mentality of, you know, super controlling your food and don't eat this and don't eat that and, um, you know, don't eat this time of day and, you know, all of that is just, um, it's not helpful for recovery. So unfollowing or muting or whatever and searching for people who are more positive about changes in body shape and size and, you know, I mean, that can help you I mean, I think one of the biggest parts of recovery is not just getting your period back. I mean, that's awesome, but it's the freedom from feeling like you have to control everything. It's being able to just eat and not think about food all of, you know, all day long. It's being able to enjoy moving your body without feeling tied to it. You know, all of that is honestly so much more valuable in the long run than just getting your period back absolutely this is like my number one thing that i share with people is and goes with our talk about symptoms you didn't even mm -hmm. know you had mm -hmm. which is i had no idea how much i i was wishing the day away like i wanted the time to go faster so i could get to my own meal to my next meal or like wanting to go to bed early because otherwise i'm gonna keep thinking about food mm -hmm. and feeling too tired to do other things and the amount of effort that goes into say tracking your food and working out all of the time I would not have this podcast and all the other podcasts that I have now I wouldn't have um, I wouldn't be doing art commissions and 
post, like building a community around my artwork because I was so busy doing those things. None of that existed. And as well, being so deep in those thoughts also made me feel like, oh, I'm not worthy of those things. I'm not, I don't have the... I don't know, like the look or like I I don't have what other successful people have. It's actually crazy how your self-perception is affected and physically your time yep. is taken up and your energy for doing creative things. Yes, absolutely. Or for this one endeavor. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, it was absolutely mind-blowing for me. And I just want to encourage anyone out there, don't just twiddle your thumbs either, like, pick up something exciting and creative that is going to really make it so much more worth your while yeah. not just getting your period back you know yes absolutely love it you were talking a little bit about unfollowing people who are maybe don't know necessarily what the effect of the information they're putting out there is are you seeing a shift in the wellness and health industry much over the past few years there is definitely an increase in awareness of what it takes to properly fuel your body. Um, it's a little hard for me to say because I, you know, I just don't follow anybody who's in, in the other mindset. So I'm kind of in my little bubble and I, I feel like the bubble is getting bigger. Um, you know, some people like uh, Stephanie Buttermore, whom I spoke with and she went all in and, you know, she's got a million YouTube followers. So that's, you know, that's amazing to get a different message out there. And it's interesting because she did get some negative feedback, but overwhelmingly the feedback that she got from people was positive. Um, so I think that's been really interesting to, to see that. And I hope that others will sort of follow along that same path, realizing that, you know, being teeny tiny and, you know, all of that is, you know, it's just not, I don't know. It's just, it's a less interesting life. I mean, I hate to, you know, I don't mean to criticize, but it's, I think it's, um, it's hard when you're in that to see how much of your time and energy is taken up just focusing on your body and yourself and, you know, having a little bit more energy to spend on the world around you and other things I think is, is awesome. So, yeah. Well, there's this misconception, I think that you can't do those things until you finish accomplishing Mm -hmm. this thing, which is being teeny tiny, but that is a, a never ending situation that you're going to be in. Yeah. And Stephanie Buttermore, what happened with her? Like, I have so much compassion as well for the, I guess, for her and for the people who had negative things to say, because like I had said earlier, it's like I'm in a cult and you're telling me something different mm-hmm. and, and people are so you know protective of their, their thought pattern. And for her to come out and be like, Hey, I know the last, however many years of my videos have been about me honestly looking a little bit scary. And now this is what I'm doing. Like that could be offensive to some people. And so, and like, that's what happened to me. So you just give them time. And it's like the first time they've heard, they heard it was Stephanie Buttermore. Okay, sure. They'll hear it again and again and again. And it's going to become easier for them to consume. Bless. (laughs) 
Bless. I I don't want to, like, I'm loving this conversation. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do have some other questions. Sure, go you were talking about, uh, in general, studies, and there's not a lot out there in the Google what is, why is my period missing kind of world. But people are doing more and more studies. And you recently, um, along with some other people, were promoting people helping to sign up for a study in California that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm curious, do you know if that's done yet or when that's going to be done or what they were even doing? So that was um, Dr. Cassandra Schufelt at, I think, the Mayo Clinic in California. Uh, Mayo Clinic, no, the clinic, the clinic is wrong, but Dr. Cassandra Schufelt. So she was interested in looking at the effects of um, HA on heart function. Uh, so she was recruiting people that have HA and um, then either putting them on an estradiol patch or a placebo and just to see, and then doing some measurements around heart function to see what the differences are. So that uh, there have been suggestions in the literature to this point that HA can negatively affect heart function. Um, A lot of the research is based on women who are postmenopausal, which in many ways is a good proxy for HA because basically you know, when you're postmenopausal, you're no longer you no longer have your menstrual cycles. Your estradiol tends to be consistently low. Your progesterone is consistently low, um, which is what you, the state that you're essentially in when you have HA. You know, you're not getting the normal increase in estradiol that happens as your follicle grows and matures. You're not getting the increase in progesterone that happens after ovulation. So, I think it's in some ways it's reasonable to, to draw inferences from someone who is postmenopausal to someone that has HA. Um, but it's, it's not ideal. So I think doing some of the studies in women that actually have HA can give us a lot more information. And so that's why I think, you know, uh, Dr. Schufeld's study is groundbreaking and hopefully when she publishes it in a year or two after having done all the data analysis yeah. and everything, you know, it'll give us, uh, it'll give us a lot more good information about the heart effects of HA. Um, so the, bo- the bone effects are pretty much undeniable. Um, the heart effects are less, you know, you know, again, that's that's based a lot on inference. And then the other long-term effect that I found um, from looking at the research in postmenopausal women is potential earlier um, brain uh, neurodegeneration. So um, Parkinson's, uh, just other neuroge- neurodegenerative diseases, where we seem to be pro- protected by having the higher levels of estradiol when we're pre-menopausal. Um, so that's that's kind of like a just a wild out there theory. Um, you know, there's really no evidence to support it in somebody who has HA, and it, that would be a very hard experiment to do. Um, but I do know that a lot of women that have HA report to me that they feel like they feel foggy. They feel like they can't really think as well as they used to, and they find that when they do eat more and fuel their bodies properly, that they they do recover some of that brain function so you know it's not it's not completely wackadoodle so (laughs) (laughs) no and it's definitely going to be the case significantly for some people some people are probably going to notice less of that but more of a physical change yeah Yeah, it's super hard you might just have to do another survey yeah i I, it's 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 on my list of things to do um but you know with with covid this is all way more challenging because i now have three children at home with me full time and um, very little time for doing anything else 
Um, nice. I did want to go back to one other thing that you were talking about earlier, which is the comparison. Um, mm. And I think that it's very, it's very easy for us to compare ourselves to others, but we have to remember that we are each unique individuals with a unique genetic background, um, a unique relationship with food and exercise. And so, you know, it's, it's really not helpful to compare to other people because their, their journeys are different. And um, it doesn't matter, honestly, if someone else is able to eat air and exercise 47 hours a day and you can't because that's that's their journey. It's not yours. And so you really have to focus on what is right for you in your time of life um, and, and look at it that way. And we also never know the truth about someone else's story. I mean, I think a lot of people are on the birth con- on birth control pills, and so they think that they are getting their periods, but actually it's just an artificial bleed that really tells you nothing about the health of your menstrual function. Um, so it's that's an important thing to realize as well is, you know, if you are somebody who's sort of chronically underfueling, exercising a lot, it might be worth going off the pill for a little while just to see what happens and see if you do actually get your natural menstrual cycles um, and maybe think about a non-hormonal method of birth control um, instead because there is a lot of benefit to having those monthly changes in estradiol and progesterone and all of the other hormones that are associated with the menstrual cycles which you don't get from birth control pills. Yeah, uh, speaking of birth control pills is there much of a difference between ha with people who have just come off hormonal birth control and people who have ha having not been on birth control for like 10 years which is me i hadn't been on it for 10 years and i still had it like are some people do some people get ha just because they're on the pill and or is it always like they're on the pill and they're at an energy efficiency. Yeah, I I haven't seen anyone that has HA simply from being on the pill. Um, it's it's in everyone that I have spoken with. It's the underfueling, the exercise, the mental stress, um, the weight loss, and it's just masked by being on the pill. So when you come off you often don't get, you don't get your cycle. There's some interesting, I, I'm actually just about to do a post on this on my Instagram um, about birth control pills and how long you should wait after coming off before kind of doing further investigation. Um, there have been a couple of studies recently that find that women, you know, 95% of women ovulate within 45 days after coming off birth control pill. So if you're in that 5% that doesn't, then I would suggest starting investigation, um, you know, basically immediately rather than waiting three months or six months or a year. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely you should ovulate fairly quickly after you come off the pill. Depo-Provera is a little bit different. That's the injection. Um, honestly, if anyone listening is on that, I would really suggest trying a different form of birth control because that seems to be worst for bone density and also worst for longer term effects after you come off it. So that's that one is a little bit different. But they're just the typical birth control pill, um, you should ovulate within 45 days after stopping it. Okay. And with that, so you have three boys? Yes. Two boys? Three. Three boys. Yep. You were t- and telling us in your story at the beginning, just to go all the way back to the beginning, you had 
taken a break from IVF. We were waiting to do uh, IVF. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. had right. So you were waiting to do that. So you were kind of doing that old thing of like, I'm just going to stop worrying about all of this for a bit. And so you ovulated and got pregnant before you had a period. Were you one of those people? Um. <laughs> Sorry, so I, I had had a bleed from my previous okay. injectable cycle. So I was on cycle day 44 when I ovulated and I did get pregnant. Um, but so it's, it is perfectly possible to get pregnant on your very first ovulation, which would happen before you have your period. Um, it's, is this something that you recommend people intent? Because I don't think you were intentional with that or you were intentional with yes that? we were we, i figured were it, it didn't hurt to try i mean i i didn't have high hopes okay. given that we'd already had four failed injectable cycles but i was like you know might as well give it a shot and there, sure enough right. it worked um so i have routine. not found any um evidence to suggest that it's uh, there is a negative impact of getting pregnant on your first ovulation. Um, I talk oh. about it in the book. There's no higher rate of miscarriage. Um, you know, there don't there doesn't seem to be any higher rate of pregnancy complications. Um, so there's, you know, as far as the, any data that I've seen, there's no reason to avoid pregnancy. Um, f- you know, on any uh, on any ovulation that you have, basically. Um, so, I mean, obviously there can be random situations if your doctor tells you not, but, you know, just in general, if you're recovering from HA, um, there's no reason not to, not to try and get pregnant anytime. Um, that is so comforting. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so the, I have a lot of data in the book and a lot of data around pregnancy and getting pregnant. Um, and that's definitely one of the things that I found was that there is, there doesn't seem to be a long-term harm fertility wise to having had HA. So there's it, the, the rates of pregnancy um, follow very, are very similar to what you see in, you know, sort of quote unquote normal populations in the, in the medical literature. Um, the rates of miscarriage are almost identical. So there, there really doesn't seem to be a negative impact on that front. Awesome. Yeah. I'll just cross my next question off then. That's what that was. (laughs) Last question. But any idea how the medical system is coming along with helping women with this kind of diagnosis? I don't have a good sense of that. There are a number of doctors who are unaware of HA and will either say, oh, it's unexplained or, oh, no, it's not HA because you're not the right body size. Um, uh, Or, you know, your eating and exercise are fine. Don't, you know, don't change your eating and exercise habits because they're good. Um, So that's definitely sort of on my long-term list of things to do is to try and figure out ways to raise awareness in the medical community. Um, I've been told that it's a topic that's not really covered in medical school um, and that if it is, the answer is birth control pills. So that that's a very common response that people get from their doctors is, oh, just, you know, you don't have a cycle, just go on birth control pills, it'll be fine. Or progesterone, um, like, challenge. So the, that the was proges- what I got. The progesterone challenge is a little, it's, that's typically to help with diagnosis, although some doctors will say, oh, just do progesterone three times a year or four times a year and, you know, and you'll be fine. Um, but again, that's not getting to the root of the issue, which is very fixable. I mean, it's, 
know, your hypothalamus is not broken. Your pituitary gland is not broken. It's just shut down. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's our body protecting itself. It's, it's, it's actually biology working just the way it's supposed to. Um, So I think it's just in many cases, a lack of knowledge. And, you know, it's, the percentage of people that experience HA, I think I've seen is sort of around 1% of the population. So many doctors aren't, you know, aren't seeing it. I mean, uh, so I, I'm good friends with uh, one of the top reproductive endocrinologists here in Massachusetts, um, Dr. Samuel Ping, who's at the Boston IVF Center. And he has told me that he only sees one to two HA patients in a year. So, you know, for your average general physician, they might see one every five or 10 years. And so it kind of makes sense that it's not something that's sort of top of their list to, to, to understand or to know about versus PCOS, which is more like 10 to 15% of the population. So mm-hmm. your average doctor is going to see a lot more PCOS patients. So, well, I, I do wonder how much of that is because the amount of years I had HA and went to the doctor and just like, never brought it up Mm, that's yep it wasn't on my list of concerns Mm -hmm. it was very convenient in fact um or if it was there was like a bit of a brush over because they'll only only want to choose the first like one or two things you're in for and if you've ever noticed but my experience with the doctors you go in for like your main priority if you're lucky you can mention something else and there's no way that they're even going to touch the other things on the list because they need to keep moving. Yeah. So you kind of need to go in for that issue if you want to get that looked at. Yeah. I saw somewhere a really interesting idea of um, if you have a number of concerns you want to bring up with your doctor, just writing them down and handing the doctor a paper with the, with that list of things, because then it's much easier for them to check off like, okay, we talked about this. We talked about this. Mm. We talked about this. And you don't feel like, oh, I don't have time. You know, there's not enough time to bring that up. So I thought that was a really interesting, uh, I thought that was a really interesting idea. I have no idea where I saw it, but I, it, it stuck with me. Yeah, too. that's so. true. That's true. Cause then you're otherwise you're expecting them to remember everything you just said or to ask you and what else, which yeah. isn't going to happen. And you don't always remember mm. either in the moment because, you know, no, it's, not, it's not always a completely comfortable situation and yeah cool cool well before i exit maybe an overview of what people can expect from your book if they go and get it and just anything else you want to leave us with that maybe we haven't spoken about that's really important to get across um so the book is five sections the first one is kind of just all about ha uh diagnosis um the typical things that cause it, uh, you know, understanding menstrual cycles, the the negative possible effects. Um, the second section is all about recovery. So it's about how much to eat, what kinds of things to eat, uh, support for making those changes, which I think is hugely important because it's very easy, as we were talking about before, it's very easy to say, oh, eat 2,500 calories, but to actually go and do it can be way more challenging than that. Um, we talk about exercise and the, cha- the recommended changes for exercise. Um, and, and again, support in making those changes. Yeah, um, my, my co-author, Stephanie, wrote a chapter on if you're a runner, like 
stopping running can be incredibly challenging because you have this whole community around you. And so, you know, finding ways to deal with that loss at the same time that you are making these changes can be, can be a challenge. Um, The third section is all about getting pregnant, everything from natural pregnancy, luteal phase, uh, tracking your ovulation. Um, And then I talk about the different levels of fertility treatment. So ovulation induction with medicines like Clomid and Femara, um, injectable cycles, IVF. The fourth section is sort of what comes after. So pregnancy, miscarriage, um, postpartum, getting your cycles back, and then just general life after recovery and sort of living without, you know, living with the newfound freedom, but not sliding back into HA with, with challenging personal situations. Um, and then the final section is a collection of stories from the board. So just sort of following individual people from, you know, the start of their journey when they joined all the way through getting, you know, getting their period back, a pregnancy, um, that, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's good. And it's available PDF and paperback, yes. right? So, yep. so the ebook is only available on my website, which is noperiod.info slash book. Um, Amazon takes 65% of uh, the sale mm-hmm. price of any ebook. And I was like, I'm not sorry, you know, I spent three and a half years of my life on this. I'm not giving you 65% for hosting the file. Um, so the paperbacks are available through Amazon or through my website as well. Um, Definitely put links in the show notes. And that's an interesting tidbit about anyone considering publishing on Amazon. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think if you want to support authors, uh, you know, if you can purchase the book directly from them, then that's, you know, obviously going to get more of the funds to the author than to the big corporations. So yay, little people. (laughs) Yeah, no, ac- exactly, right? Shop small, mm-hmm. run small. Yes. I love it, I love it. Yes. Well, I can't thank you enough. We covered a lot of stuff and I could have I could have kept going. Um, it's a totally loaded topic. It's really, really interesting. I'm so excited about your podcast, All In, Working Title. And good luck with that. Thank you. And I'm, I'm equally as excited to see, to, to hear from the other guests that you have coming on, so... Thank you. Yeah, and we'll have we'll have some cool ones on, some good stories uh-huh. from my husband will come on as a hab, uh, husbands and boyfriends, or maybe hap husbands and partners yeah. of of people with HA and just other. I'm gonna have exercise physiologists come on. You're gonna be one of the first episodes, so this is just people can look forward to uh-huh. exercise physiologists, spiritual coaches, nutrition coaches. I just want to get everyone's experience and perspective on it and it's gonna be great yes so y'all can follow nicola at at no period now what that's mm-hmm. correct right yes. that's your main, main pipe and then links to her website are going to be in the show notes and keep an eye out for that podcast coming in fall 2020 very cool thanks for having me